Take your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 3. Mark, chapter 3. It'll be our text. We're finishing up chapter 3 this morning. And I'm excited. We are two weeks away from our new theme reveal for 2022. And I hope you'll make plans to be here on Sunday, January 23rd, as we unveil the new theme for this new year opportunity that we have to uh, see how God is going to grow us and work in our hearts and lives this year and challenge us uh, to do more in reaching our city, making disciples here in our city and around the world. And, uh, you know, I want to say congratulations to Jackson and Jesse Fliegerm. They uh, officially made it uh, Facebook uh, official yesterday. They are expecting their first child. And uh, so congratulations. <clears throat> We're excited for them. And uh, excited to welcome their new addition uh, later this summer. And uh, good to have Jaron back uh, in town this weekend playing drums uh, this morning. And give him a hand. Appreciate his uh, ministry and worship. And what an awesome time of worship. I'm telling you, that last song, I was, uh, tears were in my eyes as I was singing about the goodness of God. And all my life, he's been faithful. What an awesome thing to, to consider this morning. How God is so faithful in every area of life, even in times when we feel like, hey, we failed him, we, we, we've fallen short, and we all do. I'm thankful this morning he is faithful, and his, his faithfulness is good to all generations. Every single morning his mercies are new. Looking at our text this morning, I want to uh, talk to us about what it means to join the family of God. And uh, what does it mean to be a part of God's family? Several years ago, the Bridger Wilderness area in Wyoming, which is a, a pristine area for hiking and uh, mountain climbing and, and all those things, if you would like to get out in the outdoors and join that, one of the most beautiful places in the United States. And a few years ago, they, they asked their guests to fill out a comment card, and uh, I'm always a little nervous about that when you ask people to give their opinions on everything. Uh, in 2022, everyone has an opinion, all right? I'm, I'm all right. Have you ever been on Twitter? Have you ever seen Facebook? I mean, have you ever seen uh, some of these ladies' groups? Uh, not that I'm a part of any of those, but my wife is, and she'll tell you, you ought to see what the women of Fuquay are all about, or the ladies of Holly Springs, or, you know, in our neighborhood, there's, a, the, you know, the, the, the women of moms of Brighton Forest, and you start listening and, and seeing all the things people are often just giving their gripes or their complaints, but they ask their guests to give them some feedback uh, on their experience. And so here are a few of their actual complaints. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Escalators would help on steep sections. <clears throat> you can imagine reading these things after the fact. Uh, too many bugs and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid of them, all of these pests. The coyotes were too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals, all right? Uh, a small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? Uh, a McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. <laughs> uh, it might take away from the, the views, but, uh, you know, we have our, our uh, mocha frappes there. Uh, there are too many rocks, 
Like, can you just imagine? I mean, and you think as a, as a school, sometimes a school will put out uh, suggestion boxes or comment boxes. Even in our neighborhood, uh, just yesterday, people were saying, can we get basketball goals in the pool parking lot? And can we get a soccer field? Can we get all of these things? And the reality is, is everybody wants something that means something to them. We all have those creature comforts that, that are important to us. And these comments and complaints reveal so much about our, uh, who we are and what's important to us. And oftentimes we're wanting what's going to make us comfortable. We want something that makes, that's convenient for us. But folks, the reality is, is the same way it happens in the Christian life and in the Christian world. We often want the Christian life to be easy. I say, well, I chose to follow Christ. He's supposed to make all these things happen unto me. He's supposed to make my life just complete ease. And, and, and as I follow Christ, dude, Christ never promised that this world would be easy. He never promised that we were going to be free from trials and obstacles. In fact, he says, count it all joy, James says, when you go through trials of every kind. Because he says, this is part of following Jesus. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, it wasn't indicating a life of ease or a life of just living a party life. He's saying it's going to be difficult. Recently, we reflected on some of the strong reactions to Jesus and his family thought that he was mad. The religious scribes of the day thought he was bad. The scribes uh, also demon, uh, demonized Christ. They were talking about all the things that he was doing wrong. His closest people that were closest to him thought he was deranged. And in our text this morning, we're going to see uh, the natural family of Jesus, his mother, his siblings, and, and really how he uh, would interact with them and, and what he saw as his family and his mothers and his mother and his brothers. So I invite you to read our text, look at our text. It will be on the screen this morning, Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 31. He said, his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my brother? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Lord, we as a church, we value family. We value the family unit. We value family relationships. But God, I believe in looking at your word this morning, we're going to see the value of even greater than the the, the, the natural family that you bless each of us with is the family of God and how important it is to have that relationship with you. And Lord, to understand uh, what it means to have a personal walk with God and a personal relationship, how we should treasure that and value that and invest in that relationship and the relationship that you've given us with your church, the bride of Christ. God, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Lord, as we sing about your goodness, we sing about your faithfulness, God, I pray that you would in turn challenge us this morning uh, as a people of God to be committed. God, would we we'd be more committed than ever, Lord, to that relationship and, and investing in 
the family of God and, and seeing the family of God grow and, and, and disciples being made and, and challenged and walk in their walk with God. Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Those that may not uh, know you as Lord and Savior God this morning, I pray would be the day, that very moment that people understand that the truth of the gospel, you convict them of their sin and you draw them to faith in Christ. God, will be careful to praise you for what you're going to accomplish. In your precious name we pray. All of God's people said, amen. Family is foundational, but following Christ must come first. And we're going we're to dive into this text this morning. We first of all see an urgent request from family in verse 31. Christ's family, his mother and his brothers all arrive here in verse 31 of our text. And we're seeing an urgent request for saying, hey, we, Jesus, we need to speak to you. Jesus, we need to see you. We want to spend some time with you. We've got some things that we need to converse with you about. And there were many people crowded into the house that day as, as Jesus taught and as he spoke. And they were, they were all gathered around him. And they were, it was frustrating because his own family had come and traveled from Nazareth all the way to Capernaum, uh, some 30 miles you can imagine as they traveled in their life, we want to see Jesus. We want to spend some quality time. We have some things that we need to catch up on. And you know, if you have family that just traveled into town for the holidays, you're going to stop at nothing to spend time with them. You're going to, it doesn't matter what happens, uh, what uh, water has gone under the bridge over the last year, you're going to spend that time with them. And, and fat families support it. But Jesus is sitting here teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And his family arrives, and we see a, there was an urgent request from the family. And some of you are thinking about how, how did Jesus have other siblings? I thought he was born of a virgin. Well, he was born of a virgin, but Mary and Joseph did get married, and they did have other children. And he wasn't the only child in the household. And so uh, we see his earthly mother was, was a virgin when he, whenever she was impregnated by way of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph was the earthly father, and he was born too, but... The word brothers literally means from the same womb. There were other children born into this family, and God blessed the home of Mary and Joseph. And, and, and Scripture gives indication of that. Matthew chapter 13, it says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not the mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Acts chapter 1, verse 14 all these with one accord were devoting themselves to, to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And in Galatians chapter 1, it says, When I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And so there's multiple indications throughout the New Testament writings that Jesus had other siblings. So his, his family arrived. And we go back to verse 31. There's an urgent request from Jesus' family. The word called refers to a summons. They're like, hey, we need you right now. And several years ago, I was teaching a Bible study on Sunday morning, and uh, Savannah, our, our first child, I'm, I'm looking forward to some of our staff members having uh, a baby in the future because uh, it changes your whole world, for the better, but it changes your whole world. And I was up there teaching a, a, a Bible study class, and uh, someone came to the door and said, Pastor David, um, we need you right now. And I was like, I, I'm teaching. I mean, what? what your daughter has fallen, and, and she, there was a, a, a slide in the nursery, and she dove headfirst off the slide and, and gashed her chin open and, and said, you need to go to the emergency room. And it was a summons, you know, we need you like right now. I mean, and, but it, it radically changes your life. Jesus is being summoned. 
They're telling him, hey, we need you because there's an emergency. Your family has gathered here and they need you. But folks, the obvious point is Jesus, he's understanding that his most important priority here is teaching and preaching the gospel. He's doing his father's work and and the nature of the urgent request, it says in verse 32, the crowd was, was sitting around him. They said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're seeking you. They're summoning, summoning you. They're, they're trying to get your attention. And, and ultimately, if you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 2, he says, verse 49, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, that verse is written when Jesus is 12 years old. He's not being disrespectful to his parents But he's saying, I have a mission, and God has called me to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom. What is he saying? He says, there's an urgency that our family needs us, but there's also an urgency of getting the message of hope and salvation to a lost and dying world. So folks, there's nothing, I tell my kids all the time, if you need me for anything in the world, I'll stop whatever meeting I'm in if I need to. But ultimately, I have a job to do, and God has called me to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom. He's called me to to take the the gospel to another language, to another world. And several years ago, I was in Brazil, I think it was in 2019, and, and my wife I had literally been there all of an hour at the place that we were going to be staying. And I get a FaceTime call from my wife and I said, what's wrong? And, and, and she said, a, a huge pine tree has fallen on our house. And, and it came through, crashing through the roof. And I could see daylight from our bedroom. And I'm like, that's not good. And, and, and I'm sitting here, she's on that FaceTime video out in the yard. And I was like... Holy cow. I was like, and so I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, what the advice to give her. And she's like, so the first thing out of her mouth, Zach, was, are you coming home? And I said, sweetie, I love you. I've literally traveled for two days to get here. And I'm in another continent. But there's no way I can get back home. I said, but I can promise you one thing. I'm going to make sure there's some help there for you. And I immediately called a couple guys in my life group and a couple of other friends. And they called some neighbors and different ones. And, and within a few moments, they had a generator up. They had all these things there uh, helping make sure that their needs are met. There was a, a tarp on the roof. They had all these uh, buckets capturing the, the water that was coming pouring through our roof. And But folks, the reality is, is I was on a mission and I had to complete the job that God has called me to do. That's how Jesus was speaking. But then there's a startling rhetorical question about his family. He gives us in verse 33, once the message comes to Jesus that his family is asking for him, he asks a question that's really, it it makes us think and wonder this morning, what is he talking about? He, He answered verse 33, he answered them, who is my mother and my brother's? Who is my mother and my brothers? Sometimes we sit here and when Christ speaks throughout his New Testament ministry, sometimes we, we wonder, what exactly is he talking about? I mean, because he spoke in, in, in parables. He spoke and in, in often he would, he would give illustrations and everyone's sitting there scratching their head. Even his disciples going, you're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? I mean, how is that even physically possible? Something that took um, years and years to build. How are you going to destroy that and rebuild it in three days? And, and, and so Christ is, is asking a rhetorical question. He says, who is my mother 
Who is my mother's, uh, who's my brother's? And I can imagine those that are sitting around the house, they're expecting Jesus to go out and attend to his own family and, and, and see what they were there for because in that culture there was nothing more important than family. In fact, in those first um, early century uh, church and when Christ was here on the earth, in that context, the Jewish culture, uh, families would often multiple generations lived within the same household. Some of us in, in the United States can hardly imagine that. Some of you are thinking, I can't imagine my mother-in-law living in my house. I mean, I can't imagine uh, multiple generations of, uh, of my husband's family all living in my house. I mean, there is not a house big enough for that. Uh, and you start wondering and asking these questions, but this was common. Family was important. Family was of utmost importance. And so Jesus asked the question, we're talking question, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And the response of Jesus was radical in his day. In fact, it was more than radical. It was revolutionary because he was challenging everything that they had ever thought, everything that had ever been taught. And so this rhetorical question is, is driving home a truth that he's wanting them to answer in their hearts. Who is your mother? Who are your brothers? Who are your sisters? And he's asking them this question in Mark chapter 8. Jesus asked eight different questions in that chapter. And he's asking them questions because he's wanting them to consider certain things about the gospel and how it's going to radically transform them. Jesus often perplexed the religious crowd. He dials up the discomfort as they're all, you know, they're all feeling in verse 34. He's trying to give them a little bit of thought to provoke them to realize what it is he's trying to accomplish in and through their lives. So then we see, thirdly, a radical redefinition of family. Look at verse 34 of our text. He says, so looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. He's, he's motioning to the crowd. He says, here's my mother. Here's my brothers. Here's my sisters. Here's, here's my family. You are my family. What he's saying is he's, he's giving them a, a bigger picture. It's, it's not just the lady who gave birth to me, and he's not making light of that relationship, but he's saying the most important relationships is the family of God and how God has gifted us and blessed us with so much more than we could possibly imagine. The phrase looking about literally means he was looking roundabout. He was looking at various women in the crowd and saying, you're my mother, you're, you're my sister, you're my brother in Christ. And Matthew chapter 12 verse 49 provides an even greater detail of the same passage, the same story. He says, stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. What's he saying? He says, this is my family. You are my family. You are the ones that God has placed in my life. And don't miss it. Being a half-brother of Jesus, does it make you any closer to God? Because you're related by birth. Just being a part of, the, uh, of Christ's earthly, natural family does not make you a child of God. You have to place your faith and trust in Jesus. And, and he, he's, giving, he's making a point home, driving a point home. According to John chapter 7, his siblings did not even believe until after the resurrection. So there was a point in time as Jesus is teaching and preaching and getting ready to die on the cross that 
his own siblings, those who grew up in his household, did not believe the truth of the gospel. Let that sink in for just a moment, because I think what happens is sometimes we can get an idea in our heads that, you know what, Mary was perfect. And some religions teach that she was holy. But folks, the reality is, is that's, that's not the case. Just because she was the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What's he saying? Ultimately, she had to believe that Jesus was the Son of the living God and place her faith and trust in Christ. And in verse 35, it provides a greater clarification about how we can be a part of the family of God. It says, whoever does the will of God, he is my bro- mother, my brother, my sister, and mother. Think about the Ethiopian jailer when Paul and Silas are in prison and in the book of Acts. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And what is their response? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All throughout the New Testament, Christ is calling for people to believe in the name of the Son of God, to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. So verse 35 is, is monumental. He's, he's saying, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. And, and he's not saying that works is a part of salvation. What Christ is ultimately saying is, if you truly know Christ, you're going to follow him. You're going to want a desire to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 28, he says, He said to them, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, says, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Charles Spurgeon said this many years ago. He says, I will ever maintain that by grace we are saved. He says, not by ourselves, but equally must I testify that where the grace of God is, it will produce fitting deeds. You see someone who truly has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to transform our actions. We're going to want to desire to be in the house of God. We're going to want to desire to know God and experience God and I'll be honest, Matt, you were up there leading worship a minute ago. I was not that close to walking up and saying, let's do that last song again. Because there's, it was a move of God and God is working. And, I'm, and as, as he was bringing me to tears, he was bringing me to the point of understanding the goodness of God. And Folks, we're in desperate need of the goodness of God today. We're in desperate need of a touch from God and experience his goodness. So Jesus is not... Uh, He's not um, repudiating family relationships. He understands and values that. But he's just saying that the one's relationship to him through the new birth is the most important connection that that we have uh, other than a natural birth. He's saying the family of God is vital for our success. If we're going to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's important. The family is foundational. The following Christ must come first. And I was thinking this week about some of the relationships that God has blessed me with and people in my life and the influence that they've had on me and the opportunity that I've had to to get to know them. I'm thinking of the relationship. I'm the son of of Lacey and Charlotte Fry. And folks, 
that it's an awesome blessing to, to know my earthly parents, but also to know that I'm also their brother and sister through Christ. And I'm also adopted into the family of God, and through the new birth, I'm a, a child of, of the king. This, this morning, I'm a husband to, to Tanta Fry, and, and she is my wife that God has given me, but she's also my sister in Christ. Now, those of you that are watching online, tune in and pay attention. I'm not saying I married my sister, but my wife is also my sister in Christ, all right? And I'm the earthly father of Savannah, uh, Micah, Sarah, and Malachi. And, and, but also, because all four of them have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I am their brother in Christ. When each one of my kids, when I baptized them, I had the opportunity of baptizing my sons as my brother in Christ, all right? Baptize you my brother in the name of the Father, the Son, and as and I said, my brother and my, my son. And, and I, as I baptized my daughter, it's like I'm baptizing my, my, my daughter and my sister in Christ. That's part of that relationship. I'm, I'm, I'm the shepherd of the flock and one of the shepherds of this flock, but I'm also, you're my brother's. You're my sisters in Christ. Some of you are like my mothers or you're like my grandmothers. And as I began pastoring several years ago, I mean, some of you are out thinking, I'm old enough to be his grandmother, you know, and, and, and that's okay. But God has placed you in my life with an important relationship, and I'm thankful for that. And, and throughout the New Testament, Christ is often referred, Paul refers to, he says, you know what, not only do we, I gain to have this earthly family, he says, but because of the relationship with the gospel, I gain a, a, a much larger family. I gain the family of God. And folks, I get to experience all these relationships. So sometimes in our household, we have a family meeting. Anybody else have family meetings in your house? And maybe it's around the, the kitchen table. Maybe it's, uh, we're going to sit around the family room and we're going to have one of those family meetings. But I want to I say... There's a, it's a family meeting time this morning as we gather because that's what Christ was saying. He was sitting around with all of these people, the family of God, and he was giving them some encouragement in a family meeting. Let me say spiritual relationships must take precedence over natural relationships. What is he saying? He says, ultimately, the family of God is so important, you've got to invest in it. That spiritual family... And he, he, we're, we tend to categorize people as uh, single, married, divorced, or widowed. But ultimately, we celebrate the family unit. But he's saying being single is, is not a, a, a failure. And being single is, is not a, is a bad thing. But he's in First Timothy chapter 4, he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. These younger, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, Younger women as sisters with absolute purity get to know one another and learn to love and appreciate each other. We're going to be spending all of eternity together in heaven. So what's he saying? He says love one another. Build those relationships. Care for one another. 
when you see someone else struggling, offer a helping hand. Spend some time investing in those relationships. Spiritual relationships must take precedence over natural relationships. And he says if you live out your faith, some in your family are going to think you're crazy because of it. Anybody in here, your family thinks you are nuts because you go to church every Sunday? Because you prioritize the things of God? I remember years ago when, when my dad, when God called my dad to, to be a pastor, my, my granddad, my mom's dad, did not speak to my parents for almost a year. Here's my dad who's moved to the city that my mom lives in, in Virginia. And they bought uh, their, their first home together. They're thriving and they're both working jobs and all of these things. And then God called my dad to, to, into the ministry. And they quit their jobs. They sell their house. They move to another state to go to seminary and school. And my granddad's going, no, no. <laughs> I don't think so. There's no way you're uprooting my daughter and my oldest child and our future family to, to go and follow Jesus Christ. And there was like a year that they didn't even have a relationship, didn't speak to them. Folks, I, I, I preached the gospel in India, and I remember meeting a couple one night after one of the crusade meetings, and this couple was, came up, and one of the pastors was introducing to me, and they said they got saved at one of these crusades that you guys are preaching he said about three years ago, and when they did so, their family completely abandoned them. And they said it was as good as if they were dead because they chose to leave the Hindu faith and follow Jesus Christ. And I stood there, and I, I watched as a, as a young wife wept as she talked about what the last three years had been like. And she said, you know what, Pastor David, she says, we lost a lot on this earthly, as far as the earthly family, but she said what we gained by choosing to follow Christ was so much greater. She said God has given us the most incredible church family, and they've loved on us. And if that doesn't speak of the, the book of Acts, the early church, many of these people lost their families. And Paul is saying, he says, it's vital to understand. Christ is saying it's vital to understand the spiritual relationships. So if you live out your faith... Some of your family are going to think you're crazy. Peter complained about how much they had left. And Jesus spoke in, in these words. He says in Mark chapter 10, verse 29, he says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or, or children or lands for the sake for the gospel. He, said, he goes on, he says, Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time? Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. There's a mind-boggling statement when you look at these ver those couple of verses because ultimately he says whatever you've lost for Christ's sake, he says he's going to restore a hundredfold. So in what capacity in this life could we receive a hundredfold of the things that we've lost? brothers and sisters. Where are you going to have a hundred sisters or brothers? Through the local church. What he's saying is he says God restores that family and gives you far more than you could have possibly ever imagined through the local church as you plug in and you begin to build relationships. And I've heard it said over and over, people say, hey, Pastor David, my church family is 
those bonds are stronger than my earthly family. And for many people, they are. In fact, in our area, many of us don't have local, they don't have family in town. And so your church family becomes like your family. Uh, this week, uh, we've had a couple people in our church that have lost family members. And over the last two or three weeks, uh, some of you have lost family members. And to know that people are praying for you, they care. They send a card or a flower or a meal or, or they're offering a prayer. And, and folks in our time of need to know that there are people that genuinely are caring. And they're helping hold our hands up and be the Aaron and her of the Old Testament. And, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Your church family are your family. And it's important to value that if you, if, as you live out your faith. And then thirdly, invest time in your family but not at the expense of your faith formation. What's he saying? He says, it's a sin. Years ago, parents uh, would, would sometimes would ignore their own family. And, and folks, but he says, today, people are oftentimes making children the center of everything. I know parents are saying, you know, this, this kid's my whole world. And I get that. that I, I, I get that. But what the ultimate thing is, our children ought not be what our family revolves around. I know you guys, uh, uh, Jackson and Jesse are uh, big, a big dog owner family, and we, our staff likes to tease them about that. They'll take vacations around their dog. I mean, they go on vacations to dog park uh, places where they can take their dog and do all these fun tricks. And, you know, and he was telling us about the other day they're wanting to go to a water park in and, and a whole other state, you know, two states away to take their dog to this water park. And I'm thinking, you know, that's a little bit crazy. But <laughs> I'm playing with them. We like to kid them about it. But the reality is, is that is the, they have lots of joy from that. They get bring lots of joy. Say, but now that they're having their own child, I mean, things are going to begin to change. But folks, I have four kids. If my life revolved around my children, that is not the plan for God for the family. It's not to revolve around our children. In fact, I've, as a pastor and for, as a student pastor for nine years, I've watched families that made their kids the priority and everything revolved around their kids. You know what happens when the kids grow up and graduate and move out of the house? Mom and dad get a divorce. Happens all the time. You say, why is that? Because somewhere along the line, the priority became the children instead of our relationship with God. And our priority must be God is first above all else. Mom and dad are second. So uh, a newsflash, 411 to the kids, you're way on down the list. Not saying that you're not loved, not that saying that you're not prioritized. God knows we've sat through some, uh, good gracious, some um, uh, wrestling matches and uh, tournaments over there. I had no idea a wrestling tournament could last from like 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. at night. I mean, I'm just like, oh, dear God, when is this thing going to be over? But uh, at the end of the day, you know what? We'll do whatever it takes to be there for our kids. There's, I'm not saying that's not important. But what he's saying is, is our relationship with Jesus has got to take priority. It must be the most important. So invest time in your family, but not at the expense of your faith formation. And Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So one day our children are going to be grown up. They're going to graduate. They're going to move out of the house. And they're going to begin a life of their own. Let's plant spiritual roots in them now. 
so that when they leave, they take those things that we've instilled in the principles of God's Word, instilled in them to take throughout their life so that they can be successful in their own walk with Jesus. Then on the next one, and I want you to pay attention, and I don't want you to turn me off, because some people are going to turn me off as soon as they see this on the screen. Don't let sports, and I'm not picking on sports, or any other activities crowd out your commitment to Christ. I have four kids. All of them are good at sports. Every single one of them are good. Our daughter plays college sports on scholarship. Don't let sports or any other activities crowd out your commitment to Christ. I want to read a couple of sentences from an article that says, after 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents are shocked by their daughter's lack of faith. Trevor Mickelson was simply stunned at the revelation. I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained out game or a break between school and club team seasons, we had Janie in church. It was at least once per quarter, and it was obviously a priority in our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. You know, the more I think about it, one thing that illustrates, just illustrates how the church just keeps failing this generation, lamented Trevor. The Mickelsons further noted plans to have a chat with their pastor of their church after their younger son's Robert's soccer season calms down a bit. We go once a quarter, and we wonder why our kids are apathetic towards the things of God. Parents, listen up for just a second. This is that family meeting I was talking about. And I'm not harping on any family. I, I have four kids of my own that I'm having to make priorities around the things that are most important because when they do launch out from our family, I want them to have a heart for God and a heart for the things of God. I know you don't want to teach your kids that sports trump spiritual commitment. But let me be quick to add that other activities, camping, fishing, boating, yard work, all of these things can trump, vacations can trump our relationship with God if we're not careful. And what happens is the message that we send our kids is if there's nothing else better to do, we'll prioritize God. Some of you that listen online, don't turn it off yet because I want you, we're getting to a point here and, 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 and Christ is trying to get us to understand the ultimate relationship. Well, our family has a boat, but you know what? Our boat will still start on Sunday afternoon just as good as it will on Sunday morning. This past week, I was at my daughter's gymnastics meet and She's just gotten placed on a team, and I know there's a, there's a uh, tournament coming up. And I said, what day is the tournament? And she said, well, it's Saturday and Sunday. I said, well, I would prefer, we would prefer that she get placed where she can compete on Saturday. I said, because we're Christians, I'm a pastor, and we will be in church on Sunday. 
And she looked at me, she had this look on her face, and she said, I appreciate you telling me that. You know what her response was? She says, I'm going to do my very best to have her scheduled to compete only on Saturday so that she can be in church on Sunday. Here's my daughter standing right beside me, seeing her dad say the most important thing in my child's life is that she's in church on Sunday to hear the preaching of the Word of God. We can compete in sports and everything else another time. Would to God that more parents would stand up and say, you know what, my child, if, if, if the game can be at 1 o'clock on Sunday, we'll be there. If it can be at 3 o'clock on Sunday, we'll be there. But on Sunday morning, we have a priority in our house, and that's going to be be in church and then we'll make a pro- we make a decision about what teams our kids play. You know what we've had to decide as a family? We can't play every sport. We can't do every single thing. Sometimes we're like, man, we're looking at the spring gymnastics and three kids playing lacrosse. I mean, it's something every single day. You can't be at all those things. But what we're having to say is, I'm going to prioritize the house of God and my relationship with God. And I'm going to make it a priority to be in church. And I love through all throughout the New Testament, Christ refers to sports. He talks about sports terms and running the race and being successful in the race of life. But folks, he doesn't, doesn't do that at the expense of our relationship with God. He prioritizes it. I think it ought to be good for everybody to watch the, um, the movie Chariots of Fire. And it talks about uh, the... the um, about not playing sports on Sunday and prioritizing a relationship with God. And folks, I think it's important as a, as a mom and dad to say, I'm not going to make my child's desire to play sports more important than his desire to know God and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and it's important. And also as we look out, you know, not just this, Look at what's happened in the last year and a half, two years. Somehow, we have gotten so, uh, I don't even know the word to use, but we've gotten so scared that we're even afraid to get out and go to church because we're afraid we're going to catch a virus. The reality is, if God can't protect us in the house of God, there's no hope for us. But folks, at the the expense of our family's spiritual formation, people are staying home. And I'm not saying you have uh, all these other health conditions. There's a few people like that. The majority of people who says, well, Pastor, I'm just not getting into crowds anymore. I'm just staying. I ran into them at Costco on a Saturday. I mean, God help us. I mean, uh, in the early days of the pandemic... Walmart and Home Depot were the most crowded Every They were all open. I mean, one Sunday I was planning on having church in the outdoor garden section at the Home Depot because you could actually go there. I mean, for crying out loud, we're, we're saying, I'm not going to go to church because I don't want to get into a crowd. But you eat at the uh, DNS cafeteria in Cary uh, with like... 400 other people. I mean, uh, let's be real. We're saying one thing out of one side of our mouth, but then the other side out of the other side. No, we've got to prioritize the things of God. Folks, the reality is we need the church more today than at any other time. And Paul says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the mother of some is. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
as the return of Christ is getting near, as our culture and society is getting further and further from God, we need the church. We have got to prioritize the things of God and say, I'm going to make it a priority and everything else will take second or third or fourth place. And I'll make this a priority in my life. And then lastly, partner with our church, partner with Calvary to help with faith formation in our families. One of the things that my parents did an outstanding job is they taught us the word of God at home, but they also took us to church and made it a priority that we were in the right place at the right time that we can learn and hear. And and folks, they need more than just mom and dad teaching them the word of God. They need other spiritual mentors, teachers, leaders, volunteers who are going to sit beside our kids on a, the edge of a, of, a, of a pew or a chair and say, here, let me show you this verse. And there, there's a verse that, that God gave me in my devotions this week. And someone else is investing in their spiritual walk. And, and to share, here's some things that will help you with the struggles that you're facing in this life. And as a teenage guy or as a teenage girl or as a seven-year-old girl, a nine-year-old girl, God has, his word has something that speaks truth into the very situation that you're facing. Mom has COVID. Here's some verses of scripture that will encourage you to trust God and to, to lean into that relationship. You've lost a loved one or a friend. Here's some verses of, of encouragement in scripture. You're facing a trial or financial burden. God's word speaks truth into our life. We've got to invest in the faith formation of our families. As God continues to bring new people constantly to our church and to our our community, we need more people to step up and volunteer and say, Pastor, it looks like everything's covered. No, folks, the reality is, is we've had to cut. And every church ministry I know of are cutting back. Last night, we went to three restaurants before we could find one that was even open. Three. I was so excited. I had my free Chick-fil-A thing from the Canes winning on my, on my app. And I was getting ready to go get it. And we drove to Holly Springs Chick-fil-A. They closed. They're remodeling. <laughs> well, they shouldn't have told me, but they were closed. And then I was like, well, we'll go over now to Burger King, which is next door. And they were closed. They said, we close at 6 p.m. because we don't have enough employees. And then we ended up at Zaxby's. And I'm thinking, good Lord, I mean, before long, we're going to have to kill a chicken and, and do the whole thing ourselves. But, I mean, the reality is, is what's happening in the rest of the world, it's even worse. And the church people are saying, you know what, I just don't have time to commit to anything. I don't have time to do any of these things. Pre-pandemic, we had Awana on Sunday nights, and we were teaching kids the Word of God in in a way that uh, they can apply to their lives. We can't staff that right now. We had Bible studies on Sunday morning for for all ages that we can't staff right now. Why? Because people don't want to commit to teaching and the faith formation of of our children. Our student ministry, Jackson's going to be on vacation in a couple weeks. He says, we're not going to have youth group that night. Why? Because we don't even have the workers to staff it. He was like, I'd love to have Bible studies on Sunday morning for our students. But right now, he says, we can't staff it. And, and so it can't happen. We've got to have more people say, Pastor, I will serve. I will give. I will commit. I will re-engage in the life of the church. And folks, if we are ever going to make an impact 
on all of these families and houses and people that are moving to our, around us, we have got to say, I'm going to step up. I will commit. I will serve. Pastor um, Matt's been doing all of these new things with the, the sound and the video and the lighting. We're trying to create a, a better environment online for our online church. But folks, the reality is it takes people. It takes volunteers. It takes more people to say, hey, I can work on a computer back there. I can sing. I can play an instrument. I can do what... And it takes people to get involved in engaging in the process of making disciples. Ultimately, the way that we enter the, the, uh, the family of faith it's through receiving what Jesus has done for us on the, on the cross. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The key this morning is not who you are related to, but who you have a relationship with. The family, uh, the only way to be a part of the family God is to be born again. To have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Family's foundation. But following Christ must come first. I would never say the Christian life would be easy. It's not meant to be. Discipleship is difficult. The path uh, is often uphill. It's often rocky. There's going to be coyotes. There's going to be deer. There's going to be distractions. There's going to be trials along the way. And I'm, I'm using that uh, in a funny way. But the reality is you're going to face tests. Will you complain? Will you seek the easy way? Or will you follow Christ down the hard path? But folks, what happens is as we follow Christ, the, the joy that comes from serving God the joy that comes from that relationship and investing in our spiritual family is something that only in heaven will you experience the true joys of knowing the people who've invested in my kids and your kids. We may not see it here in this world, but folks, ultimately one day we're going to see in heaven the extent of the influence that you and I can have on reaching our family with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obey the word of God. Embrace the will of God this morning. Let's pray that God uses us to impact not only our church, but our city, our community with the gospel and make a huge impact on the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning?